between the years when the oceans drank Atlantis and the rise of the sons of Arius, there was an age undreamed of, when shining kingdoms lay spread across the world. Hither came Conan, the Cimmerian, sword in hand. It is I, his chronicler, who knows well his saga. Now let me tell you of the days of high adventure. Welcome to Hither Came Conan, the podcast that spends its weekends battling spider gods and winning. I'm your host, my name is Steven, and today we're looking at Conan the Barbarian, issue number 13 from Marvel Comics. This issue sports a cover date of January 1972, but it hit the stands in October 1971. It sold for 20 cents, and it is entitled... Web of the Spider God. It was written by Roy Thomas with pencils by Barry Windsor Smith, inks by Sal Buscema, and the letters were by Sam Rosen. Into the boat! Near an oasis, Conan is attacked by marauders of the Brotherhood, led by Sarkon, a man with many scars on his face. Surprisingly, Conan is defeated and knocked unconscious. The bandits flee the oasis, fearing the guards of the nearby city of Yazud, just on the other side of the Zamorian border. When Conan awakens, his head still in a fog, he wanders the desert for a time. After having a vision of a giant spider, he finally arrives at another oasis and is helped by an elderly desert dweller, Thanix. The old man tells Conan about Alm, the spider god worshipped in the Zamoran city of Yazud, and that the priests have kidnapped his daughter to be sacrificed. In return for saving his life, Conan travels with Thanix to Yazud and quickly runs afoul of Yazud's soldiers. Conan and Thanix are tossed into the dungeon where all the sacrifices are kept. Conan causes a distraction to allow Tork, a spy and engineer from Shadazar, to escape. Torque has a plan to destroy the city by creating a rock slide in the caverns underneath the town. Conan is brought to Modar, the high priest of Om, for sacrifice and sees the gigantic spider the town worships. Conan breaks free and throws Modar into the spider's den where he is killed, eaten by the giant spider. Conan is then pushed into the spider's den but manages to fend off Om. The wounded spider tries to crawl back into its cave, but Conan does not stop stabbing and beating it. The townspeople, furious that the barbarian treats their god in such a fashion, attacks, and Thanix is killed. At that moment, the city starts to collapse into the ground as Torque has succeeded in sabotaging the tunnels. Conan and Thanix's daughter Leia escape. Witnessing the death of Sarkon, the scarred leader of the Marauders, who was right to fear the guards of Yazud. Leia and Torque go to Shadazar as Conan continues his wanderings. Everybody out! Okay, so Conan continues in this issue not to head west for Argos, as he said he would do at the end of issue number 11, but instead is not only still moving east, but he's now also moving north. If everybody looks at their map, as the story opens, it says that we are east 
of Ophir, which technically is correct. We are east of the country of Ophir, but we are very close to the border of Zamora, which you have to go through Corinthia to get to Zamora. If you're in Ophir, you basically travel through Corinthia to get to Zamora. And then Yazud, which is where we end up in this story, is way to the north. It's in the, the, the northeastern corner of Corinthia, very, very far north from Zaman, where he was in the previous issue, which is about, it's still on, it's still on the eastern border, but it's kind of in the middle of the country there on the eastern border. So I, I don't know. I don't know what the deal is with that. I mean, I have an idea because this story was plotted by John Jakes, who was the author that gave us Brack the Barbarian, which I have to admit I've never read. And and maybe I will at some point in the future, of course, when I finish reading the thousands of other books I want to read. But what Roy Thomas tells us in Barbarian Life, a literary biography of Conan the Barbarian, Volume 1, he doesn't give us a lot of background information on this issue, as he has been doing. But he does tell us about John Jakes, and he tells us about how he had written the author's agent to offer him this job to plot a Conan issue or an, an upcoming Conan issue. And he suggested in his request that Jake's set the story in Yazud and that it features a, a, a giant spider and not just a giant spider, but one much bigger than the spider that Conan fought in issue number four, the Tower of the Elephant. He also explained to Mr. Jakes that he wasn't really going to be able to pay him a lot because Roy would be paying him out of his own pocket. There wasn't a budget from Marvel to pay this guy to come in and plot this issue. But John Jakes was really excited about it, and he sent a plot into Roy and... This is what we ended up getting. And I think that's why we're still not heading to Argos at this point. Issue 11 ends stating that I'm going to go to Argos. I want to see the ocean. I want to get out on a boat. I want to do some fishing, maybe some pirating, kill a bunch of people, steal a bunch of stuff. You know, what's your average dweller in the Hyborian age really wants to do because everybody needs to have goals. But the very next issue, issue number 12, he's not heading west as he should be. He's heading east and a bit north. And then here we are in issue number 13. He's still heading east. He's still heading north. And for issue 12, the excuse was, well, that wasn't supposed to be the story that we meant for issue number 12. But we got behind because of the length of some of these issues. And it took longer to do issue number 11 than we thought it would. And so I wonder then if issue 13 ultimately was meant to have this story or if it was, hey, we actually got a response from John Jakes. He sent us a, a plot for a story. We better get that going and get it in the, the, the next possible issue. And that's why we're still heading northeast. I don't know. I don't know. I find it kind of weird to tell you the truth, frankly, that they've been doing a pretty good job up to this point, or at least up through issue number 11, of creating some sense of continuity that, that while each of the stories were done in one issues, there was still a sense of, there was still a sense of Conan on his travels. He was going a, 
what what felt like uh, not an odd route, moving east, then south, then west, but now he's turned back around and he's heading back north and back east. So I don't know. I don't want to really harp on that much longer. So how about how about how about how about we just talk about the book? How about we do that? All right. So looking at the cover, it's a Barry Windsor Smith cover. We have Conan clinging to a wall or bursting out of a wall. I think he's clinging to a wall. There are arrows that are being fired at him and there are a bunch of spider people attacking him. And then there is a a web in the background and you almost hope that Spider-Man's back there somewhere, but he's not. And then it says web of the spider God. So looking at this cover, it looks pretty exciting. He's going to fight a bunch of spider people, but he's, he fights exactly zero spider people in this entire issue, there is nary a spider person to be seen, but we do get a giant spider, so that's pretty cool. Thank you, Conan. So we open with the splash page that tells us that we are somewhere east of Ophir. This also tells us that the story is plotted by John Jakes, author of Brack the Barbarian. And in fact, the original artwork of this splash page was given to John Jakes. And as of 92, according to Barbarian Life, the literary biography of Conan the Barbarian, Volume 1. Mr. Jakes still had a framed, or he still had it. He still had the page, and it was framed and hanging in his house. So yeah, Conan is ambushed at a oasis by some marauders. Marauders? Some That sounds like moron marauders. <laughs> He's waylaid by some bandits who are only interested in his horse. Conan, of course, puts up quite the fight, killing one of their horses in the process. So really, these guys do not come out ahead at all. But their leader, the scarred man who is known as Sarkon, which sounds a lot like Zarkon, which I believe is a bad guy from Voltron. On the planet Zarkon. They beat up on Conan for a while and they knock him about the head. Sarkon does with the club and knocks Conan out, but he is out so deep that they just assume he's dead. Sarkon wants him to get up so he can kill him. And one of his buddies says, nope, he's already dead. Look at him. And so they steal his sword and they steal his horse. And then they take off because they're afraid about being that close to the Zamorian border. And furthermore, so close to the city of Yazud. And the only reason they were out this far, I guess, was to to get a, to get some more horses, which they failed to do. They got a horse, but they lost a horse in the process. Conan eventually gets up. He wakes up and he's very befuddled and dazed. And, you know, he's he's had a head injury. He might have a concussion for all we know. And so he's wandering around out in the desert. The, the heat of the sun is beating down on him. He finds some caves or at least a, a, a big rock formation that forms kind of a, a bit of shade that he is able to sit in. He finds what he thinks is an oasis and dives into the water to start drinking it and realizes, oh no, it's a mirage. You know, that's a pretty common trope in these kinds of stories, isn't it? At some point, if your hero is wandering in the desert and they're losing their mind because of the heat that eventually they will run across a body of water that they will dive into and try drinking from and then learn that they're trying to drink sand because it is a mirage. So it's good to see that Roy Thomas is not afraid to throw in some common story tropes 
here in this issue. Eventually, he collapses in the sand and has a fever dream in which he is in a strange golden city fighting a giant spider. He wakes in time to almost be attacked by vultures. He grabs one and kills it, but decides he's he's hungry, but he's not that hungry. So he, he leaves the vulture dead there in the sands. And then he tops a ridge and sees an actual oasis, but he's too out of it by that point, And he collapses. There's an old man by the oasis. And he has a very unfortunate color palette. The The people in this region are all colored gray. And that's that's not right. It's very unfortunate. I understand, once again, that they had very limited color options. But Conan is a nice pinkish, peachish hue. There is a Cushite later in the book who is a black man and he's colored brown. I don't understand why they have to color this guy and the rest of his people gray. It just seems really offensive to me. Anyway, he offers Conan some water and boom, Conan is back to his old strength. He's he's ready to fight. He's ready to throw some fists and get revenge on the on the men that stole his horse and knocked him out and took his sword, but the the old man Fanix tells him all about how they're near this city of Yazud in Zamora and that they worship this spider god Om and that some of their priests they they like to raid nearby villages or whatnot and they stole Thanix's daughter Leia and Thanix is 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 out to get her back and Conan decides he's going to help him because Thanix gave him water and saved his life well Thanix just happens to have a pair of camels with him and so they climb up on these camels Conan makes his opinion of camels known loudly in this issue. He does not like them. He refers to his camel as a brute. And then on the next page refers to it as a hairy humped nag. Anything is better than riding this hairy humped nag a moment longer. And I want to say real quick, as I've been reading other Conan stories and and planning out some bonus episodes to put together. One of them that I've read based on feedback last week is a story called The Crawler in the Mists. And it was a comic book that they put together to go along with a Power Records offering. If you don't remember, Power Records back in the day were a series of records that were 45s that featured basically audio dramas of various comic book characters such as Spider-Man and, and in this case, Conan. And they ended up reprinting the story in Conan the Barbarian issue number 116. And it states at the very beginning of that issue, because the reprint in issue 116, there weren't enough pages. So they had to create four new pages for it. And in it, they state that that story takes place between issues 12 and 13. So right in the middle of last week's episode and this week's episode, and they're out in the desert and Conan has to ride a camel and he's very unhappy about it. And we'll, we'll talk about that at some point. What am I doing astride this ugly beast? But when they get to Yazud, rather than sneaking in and being all stealthy, Conan just goes right to the front gate, knocks on the door, a guy opens a little window to find out who it is and what they want. 
And Conan just tells them, I am Conan, and your high priest is a slimy jackal I've come to slay. And Thanix is freaking out. He, he doesn't understand why Conan is doing this. And of course, the, the front gate bursts open and just a mob of people come rushing out and tackle Conan and Thanix. And they, they take the two of them inside and throw them in this dungeon to be then sacrificed to Ohm. And it's in the dungeon where they meet Thanix's daughter. She's still alive, Leia. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. All right, now what do I click? And they meet this guy, white man, by the name of Torque who has wonderful sideburns Here we come. and wears a pair of trunks, pair of purple jockey shorts with a little skirt over them and a pair of suspenders with no shirt. Now there is a moment in this issue where Torque, who, you know, I can't give him crap for the way he's dressed. You know, they're out in the desert for, to me, I'd just be worried about sunburn, frankly, with, with all that skin exposed, but he tells Conan that he is a engineer and a spy from Shadazar who has been sent to learn more about the people of Yazud because regardless of the fact that Zamora, the Zamoran city of Shadazar is referred to as Shadazar the Wicked and that there's a lot of thieves and cutthroats and whatnot that live in, in Zamora, they're not too happy with Yazud because they are spider god worshipers. But He's explaining that he was exploring the caverns beneath the city, and he learned that he could, because the city is built over a fault, and with all the caverns and whatnot honeycombed beneath the city, if he shifted a few boulders down there, he hypothesizes, he postulates that he could bring the entire city down, just collapse into the ground, into the caverns on top of itself. But as he's he's telling the story, he's talking about how he's underneath the caverns. And what he refers to is he was set upon by the ruffians who dwell down there. And I'm assuming now that I look at them, these might be the spider people that the cover was referring to because they are like a brownish yellow. They walk stooped over like freaking apes. They look like they don't look human. They look kind of human. They look like they could be spider people. They don't look like the 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 guys on the front cover, but I guess these might be the spider people. Why they put them on the cover and we only get them in three panels in the issue, I don't know, folks. I wish I did, but I don't. So anyway, Conan is there in the dungeon with all these people that are colored gray and are going to be sacrificed to the spider god. When Modar comes to grab some folks and he to to throw them into the spider's den. Well, that's not Modar. It's one of his lackeys. Anyway, Conan starts a, a riot. He he causes a big distraction to allow Torque to run away. Of course, Torque doesn't quite understand what's going on at first. And Conan has to tell him, Torque, you witless son of a Zamorian, don't just stand there. Didn't you have work to do somewhere else? Hint, hint, hint. And Torque's like, oh, yeah, and he runs away. And so then Conan then, because he started this, this riot, he and Thanix and Leia are taken out to be thrown into the pit with the spider. Conan is very alarmed by the size of the spider. He brags at one point that, ah, I'll fight a spider. It's no big deal. I fought one once in a temple in Shadazar, which is where the, the, the Tower of the Elephant. I think that was Shadazar. 
doesn't really matter. Anyway, Conan is taken by Modar, the, the high priest who uses a sword to cut open Conan's chest so that he's bleeding so that the spider can smell its prey. Conan grabs Modar by the face, yanks the sword from his hand and kicks him into the pit where immediately the spider goes after him and eats him. Conan eventually is tossed into the pit and he has to fight the spider. And it is a rather large spider. I mean, Conan could ride it like a horse, basically. It's it's a big spider. And Conan does just that, jumping on his back like he's riding on a horse, except for he takes his sword and he's just stabbing repeatedly into the spider's head, just stab after stab after stab. And green blood is just spewing all over the place. And the spider at one point is like, fuck this, I'm getting the hell out of here. And it makes its way to this hole in the pit, which is where its lair is underground. And Conan just keeps hacking and slashing at its head. And eventually the thing tumbles into the cavern. We're assuming it's dead at this point because then all the people of Yazud call for Conan's death and they all come, you know, a few of them come rushing into the you know, closer to the to, to the spider's den and they they toss Leah in. And there's kind of this weird moment where she's tossed into the arena. Conan runs to her and she says, Outlander, do not bother with me. I am nothing. My father, you must save my father. And he responds, I'll try if I can. That all happens in one panel. The very next panel is a close-up of Conan's face who is looking off into the distance. We see, we hear a scream. Ah! And he just says, he's beyond saving girl. And then we learn in the next panel, the, the, the panel after that, that Thanix has been killed. It just seemed like it was a really weird progression. It's just like, save my father. I will. Ah, nope. He's dead. Sorry. Oh, he's died. And then we see him dead. Uh, but Conan is able to to take up the girl as the city comes collapsing down around them. Conan, who acted like Torque the Zamorian, was an idiot. He has no idea what's going on suddenly. He's like, oh my gosh, what's going on here? The whole place is trembling and it's falling apart. And then he goes, oh yeah, that's right. I sent that blonde-haired white boy down into the tunnels to to destroy the city, and he's doing that. So all right, I guess I got to deal with that now. And he snatches up the girl and he goes running out and he's about to leave the arena when he comes across a guy who is just cocooned in spider webs, who's, who's yelling, oh, help me, please, mercy. Conan looks down and it is Sarkon, the scarred man. And Conan takes his hand and he hesitates for a moment. He's like, should I, should I save this guy? He, he tried to kill me and he stole my horse. But before he can decide whether or not he wants to leave Sarkon to his fate, a burning piece of arena falls from above and crushes Sarkon to death. And Conan's like, ah, well, I guess I don't have to make that decision anymore. And he finds a horse. He and the girl jump onto the back of the horse and they escape the burning arena. They're out on this hill overlooking the city watching as it collapses into the ground. And then Torque shows up. He's like, what up, yo? I just distorted an entire city. And I did it with my sideburns because they're impressive. 
And Conan shakes his hand or, or shakes his arm or whatever. And Torque's like, hey, who's the girl? Hello, what have we here? Maybe she'd like to go to Shadazar with me. And she's like, I can make my own decisions, Torque. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I want to go to Shadazar with you. And Conan's like, fine, whatever, go with him. But I'm going to take the horse. I might as well get something from all the killing that I did. And he goes to ride off saying that he doesn't blame her for choosing a courtier's touch to a barbarian's rough embrace, meaning that he's way more manly than Torque, but he knows that the ladies like guys like Torque more than they like rough men like him. But as he's riding away, he's telling himself that fact of the matter is, though, she probably would have been safer with me than in the city of Shadazar the Wicked. And that's how the issue ends. Uh, I, you know, this was all right. This was a, this was an all right issue. It's not, it's not one of my favorites. It, it's probably a mid-level when it comes to my enjoyment of the story. It had its moments. The art, you know, is fairly standard for what we've been seeing so far in the 13 issues of Conan the Barbarian. You really can't go wrong with Barry Windsor Smith on pencils and Sal Buscema on inks. They do work very well together. The panel where the city collapses into the ground, you have Conan and Leah in the, in the foreground. And in the background, you see the city falling into the earth and Conan is yelling, Crom! That's, that's a really good panel. The, the panel after Conan kills the spider, the spider goes falling into the cave, the, the, the cavern underneath the arena. Conan is, is falling with the spider, but he's, he's able to catch himself on the edge of the, the pit and he pulls himself up and he is standing there as the people are yelling death, death to the slayer of Ohm. He just, I'm not sure about that panel. He just looks like, he, he looks like he just quite can't understand what's happening, even though based on the text, it states that then even as straining sinews pull him slowly, achingly up from a gaping chasm, Conan hears the cry he has known must come. And that's when he hears death, death to the slayer of Ohm. And then it says, and he stands ready, though his arms dangle like leaden weights, ready to fight the blood-mad swarms whose god he has destroyed, ready to die. And I guess this, this panel, it's page 18, second panel, I guess it's supposed to represent that Conan is resigned to the fact that he's going to have to fight all these people and that he's probably going to die and that his arms are dangling at his sides like leaden weights. You know, he's, he's, he's lost a lot of his strength. And he will fight until his final breath, but he's kind of resigned himself to the fact that he's going to die here. But just looking at the image itself, if there was no text there other than the the word balloon of the people yelling death, death to the slayer of Ohm, you'd see him standing there like because he's kind of got his head cocked like a dog does. Like he's going, huh? What's going on? What are they so mad at me for? What did I do? I killed a spider. That's what you're supposed to do to giant spiders that try to eat you. Why are you so mad? And uh, yeah, I just, I felt that was kind of a weird panel. And, I, and I'm going backwards here as I'm, I'm looking at this stuff. The whole fight, the two pages, 16 and 17, where Conan is fighting the spider, 
great pages, beautiful looking art, very dynamic. You can really follow the, you know, not that there's a lot of choreography going on. It's just Conan jumping onto the back of a spider and then stabbing it over and over and over in the back of the head. But it's some pretty cool looking shit. Yeah, yeah we love cool I'm shit. Really- yeah, it was a fun issue. It's not one of my favorites. Like I said, it's about a mid-level type of story. I, I you know, I'm, I am interested in trying to check out some of this Brack the Barbarian stuff. I don't know. We'll see. Like I said, I have a lot of stuff to read and the idea of adding more to it makes me kind of sad and a little tired, but we'll, we'll see. I don't know. That might be for some good bonus content later in the future, but that was issue number 13 folks. For me, it was kind of a, not quite a thumbs up, not quite a thumbs down, just somewhere in between. And I want to know what you guys thought. Email me Stephen or else at gmail.com. And speaking of which, how about we do a little listener feedback? All right, I got two items this week. The first one comes from over at Twitter from Paul at the Fry Pod, who gave us his first bit of feedback last week. He had just discovered the show and he was really enjoying it. And he's the one that pointed out the Power Records issue, The Crawler in the Mists, which I did immediately go out and read because it was part of one of my epic collections. But Paul replied to the tweet that I sent out when episode 12 went up in which we talked about Conan the Barbarian issue number 11. That was the Marvel adaptation of Rogues in the House. And he says, really enjoyed this episode and your thoughts on the story and adaptations. The only disappointment was that you didn't really go into the Dark Horse Truman Nord adaptation at all like you have on previously shared versions. And yeah, I didn't. Not really. Um, I feel like when I was getting ready to record that episode and I was getting everything prepared, I didn't have a lot of time to really put a lot of notes together for for a lot of the episodes that came before it that were Marvel issues that adapted a Robert E. Howard story, I had I, I, I was a bit ahead of the game. And so I had more time to really put notes together and list, you know, the differences between the various adaptations and talk about each one more on an individual basis, but I I really didn't have uh, the time to do that with this one. And really when it came down to it, as far as the Marvel adaptation and the dark horse adaptation, why of course, you know, while of course they're, they're both different from each other in tone, in look, uh, as far as the information that they put on the page and the way they adapted rogues in the house, they were both very loyal adaptations. So yeah, I didn't spend a lot of time with the Dark Horse version. Uh, a, because there wasn't a lot of big differences between the two. And B, I just didn't have enough time. And maybe, you know, one of the ideas I'm thinking about is, as far as putting some some bonus episodes together that would come out every couple of weeks is first, of course, doing The Crawler and the Mists and then taking those Robert E. Howard stories that have been adapted uh, by other comic companies such as Dark Horse or Ablaze and maybe start talking about them. Those Talking about the comics, not here, let's talk about Rogues in the House and here's how the original story was and here's how the Marvel adaptation was and here's how the Dark Horse adaptation was and 
And here's how the ablaze that, you know, more like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at just the Dark Horse version of this adaptation, one issue at a time. Or we're just going to look at the ablaze adaptation, one issue at a time. And so I will eventually get back to Rogues in the House and talking about the Dark Horse adaptation. And yeah, it's going to be a bonus episode that will be available to subscribers or to Patreon members. I haven't quite decided how I'm going to do that yet, but I don't like creating content that only certain people get. You know, if you've got the money to fork over, then you get this episode. But if you don't have the money to fork it over, you don't get this episode. I don't like that. I've never, never really been a big fan of that. So while they will be available in that type of fashion, eventually one month, two months, three months later, they will then go on the feed and be available for everybody. But yeah, I will be getting back to that at some point. Thank you for the feedback, Paul. I do really appreciate it. The next bit of feedback comes from Instagram from Sleepy Reader. He has his own YouTube channel, Sleepy Reader 666, in which he talks about comics. I encourage y'all to go check out his YouTube channel. But he writes in response to episode number 14, in which we looked at Conan the Barbarian issue number 12, The Dweller in the Dark. And he says, Hi, Stephen. I am enjoying episode 14 of Hither Came Conan. I must have read this story in a later issue of Savage Tales when they reprinted the original black and white version of The Dweller in the Dark. And the art was really beautiful. Color did diminish it a bit. The original art in Frost Giant's Daughter was also amazing. Though he continued to evolve leading up to your beloved X-Men issue, I think his talent was more advanced and unique than other inkers and tight publishing schedules usually allowed for, even fairly early on. By the way, there are several places where they show the panels that had to be changed from the black and white art in Dweller to the color Comics Code approved version, enlarging the women's scanty garments and making a towel bigger, etc. Another note, I appreciate you addressing the issue of racism some episodes back, and it is especially important that you included links to some of your sources because the article quoting some of Howard's letters really made me understand what you were talking about. Really disturbing stuff. As a kid in the 70s, I read tons of adventure fiction from the early part of the century, such as Edgar Rice Burroughs and H. Ryder Haggard, and the racism, the assumption of Caucasian racial and Darwinian superiority is threaded throughout this kind of work and is pretty prevalent in most pulp writing. Very, very few white people transcended this kind of thinking at the time, but many evolved over time, evolved with the changing attitudes of our culture over that 50 to 75 year period. Howard's statements were so nasty, one wonders if he would have been a holdout for more racist views, even as others opened their eyes and hearts a bit more. Of course, we'll never know since he ended his own life 20 years before that cultural shift took hold. Yeah. Um, I recently listened to a book called uh, One Summer, America 1927 by Bill Bryson. And there is a big section in it. There's a, there's a part in it where, um, you know, mo it, it's all about the various events that happened during the summer of 1927 in America. And there is a section of it in which he talks about this idea of eugenics, which was a big thing at the time where white folk 
learned scholars, professors, scientists were of the belief that genetically white people were superior and that it was the white person's job to find inferior people, whether it be because of their race or the color of their skin, or if through some birth defect, or if they just weren't very smart. And so the idea was to basically round up the women and sterilize them so they could not have any more children. And through this process, breed ultimately a master race, everything that frickin' Hitler was was going for. And one of the supporters of this idea of eugenics was Charles Lindbergh, who was a big hero at the time, as well as Edgar Rice Burroughs, who, as Sleepy Reader stated, uh, well, actually, he didn't mention it. He he mentioned Edgar Rice Burroughs, but he's the guy that that wrote the um, the Tarzan books. He created Tarzan. And I grew up reading those as well. I still have the uh, a, a paperback on the shelf behind me that is from the 70s that is a reprint of the very first Tarzan book. And I tried reading it last year, and I just couldn't get that far into it because really the idea of Tarzan is that here is a, a white man who becomes master of the animals and the native tribes basically in, in Africa. It's this, this white baby who is left all alone in the jungle, and because he's white, he's able to do all this wonderful stuff that allows him to, to, to survive, such as teaching himself how to read despite the fact that he has never heard anyone speak in any language, but he teaches himself how to read English simply because there's a book sitting there and he just, because he's, he's a superior, genetically superior white man. But yeah, if anybody's interested in reading either of those articles that Sleeper Reader is referring to, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and, and link them into the show notes of this episode as well. And, you know, one of the things that I had talked about when, when I brought up Howard and his racism was that I had been listening to all his old Conan stories and how once the idea, once the realization of how racist he was really kind of sunk into me, it, it made it very hard for me to continue with his stories. And just recently I started getting back into him because I do feel like I need, if I'm going to talk about Conan, I need to know, you know, I need to be familiar with those original stories. And so I'm, I'm, I'm back to listening to them and I'm having a good time with certain stories. And then I get to, what was it? Beyond the Black River? No, the Black Stranger. Oh my God. That one was motoring along just fine until a certain moment where Conan and these pirates are being attacked by uh, three different tribes of Picts who are in Conan's world, basically Native Americans, savage, brown, beastly men with face paint. And they're, they're always described as being naked except for a loincloth, which you know what? Most of the time, that's how freaking Conan is, is, is dressed. But there was a moment in there where Conan and these pirates are, are about to be attacked. And Conan is, he's actually making an escape from these pirates because he was about to kill them to steal all this treasure. And they were going to kill him to steal all this treasure. They're, they're enemies. They were, 
they're ready to to betray each other, to kill each other, to murder each other in horrible ways to steal this treasure. And then the Picts show up, and Conan is in it has this uh, uh, this advantageous position up on the cliffs, and he basically tells these other pirates that he he's going to help them against these Picts because as a white man, he will not allow other white men to be killed by dark skinned savages or something to that effect. And then they bring it up again a little bit later when the, when the pirates are talking about it. Oh, I think Conan ran away. And one of them's like, no, he, he would not run away from us. He would not allow those of his own race to be killed by someone of another race, despite the fact that we were trying to kill him and he was going to kill us. You know, it's just that, that made me, it made me uncomfortable again, and I, I haven't I haven't quite gone back to to listen to much more. Even though I'm very close to being done, I'm very close to Red Nails, which, from what I understand, is supposed to be pretty damn good. We'll see, we'll see, we'll see if I get back there. Anyway, thank you so much, Paul and Sleeper Reader, for the feedback. If you want to send me feedback, there are many ways you can do it: Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, or just email me, Stephen or else at gmail.com. That email address is in the show notes, so you don't have to worry about writing it all down. All right, next time, unless the new Titan book comes out the week of the 20th, which is next week, which I don't think it is. I don't think it comes out until the 27th. So providing that doesn't come out next week, we're going to look at Conan the Barbarian number 14, which is called A Sword Called Stormbringer. This is from December of 1971, and it features Conan teaming up with Michael Moorcox, Elric of Melnibene. And boy, just wait till you hear me talk about that one. <laughs> I haven't recorded it yet, but I got some thoughts, folks. So until then, keep your swords close by and never stop treading them jeweled thrones. Bye. Hither Came Conan is a Stephen or Else production. Find more podcasts at stephenorelse.com. Questions and comments can be directed to stephenorelse at gmail.com. Find me online at Twitter, Spoutable, and Instagram by searching for at stephenorelse. And join my newsletter, Stephen Says Stuff, at list.justanotherfanboy.com. This is a free substack where I will send every single podcast episode I host right to your inbox the morning that they are released. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month over at the Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Stephen R. Orr. And in return, I'm going to do my very best to give you and your fellow patrons podcast episodes just like this one before anybody else. I also encourage you to rate this show wherever available and share this episode with a friend. All links will be in the show notes. and fight. Honor and fear were heaped upon his name. In time, he became a king by his own hand. This story shall also be told. Torque has a plan to destroy the city by creating a rock slide. The town people, uh, you know, and so they climb up on the cannons. And so they climb up on the can. So they climb up on. I keep wanting to say candles instead of camels.
but it's not candles. It's camels. Ready to fight the blood mad. That's a fluba fluka flower. Just don't think I can move through life knowing that a guy named Steven did this to me. Enough talk. Does your podcast sound like this? Show I'm a host. My name is Steven. And a thousand miles over there to my right is another host, Mr. Ed Moore. Howdy, folks. And let me say. Well, what if it sounded like this instead? For show, I'm a host. My name is Steven. And a thousand miles over there to my right is another host, Mr. Ed Moore. Howdy, folks. And let me say. Well, now it can. All right. Sorry to sound like a used car salesman here, but. My name is Stephen Orr, and I host a variety of podcasts, such as Just Another Fanboy, The Superman Super Show, and Hither Came Conan. But I'm also trying to get my foot into the podcast editing game. I mean, I have been recording and editing my own shows for years, and dang it, I want to cash in on that. So (laughs) tell me, do you love podcasting but hate editing? Do you have a number of episodes recorded, but no time at all to get them edited for release? Do you need help and you just aren't sure what to do? Well, I'm here to give you a solution. Hire me. I'll clean up your audio, beef up your sound, remove all your ums and your throat clearings and sneezes and burps, and I'll add your music and whatnot. And you know what? my prices are super reasonable. Just reach out to me at stevenorelse at gmail.com. That's S-T-E-E-V-E-N-O-R-R else at gmail.com. And we can talk. Tell me what you need and I'll let you know what I can do for you. And more importantly, quote you a cost. How do you know if I'm any good? Well, I edited this, didn't I? Stevenorelse at gmail.com. Email me today.